Fly with me to Cagadaluna on my snot rocket. I'm Kevin Leeson. Problems with dry skin and tight pores? Stick these snails in your face. I'm Joe Fulgham. A. Dogs vomit slime mold. B. Star jelly. C. Bone-eating snot flower worm. D. All of the above. I'm Torn Atkinson. Yep, it's caustic soda. So what kind of slime are we talking about? I'm what not, kind of slime do you got? I don't know. I'm not slime proficient, I have to admit. I got some slime in the back of my throat. I'm trying to get rid of it. <clears throat> yeah, we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. Talk oh, about your slime. Phlegm. Snot. Mucus. <laughs> but first, let me tell you the word origin of slime. It comes from a Latin limus, which means slime, mud, mire, and the pre-Indo-European base is slay, S-L-E-I. So Ooh, maybe it's, so, maybe it's sly. Pronounce sly, and that's how you get sly. It, it could sly be limus. Mus. Cool. All right, that Slimus makes sense. was my least favorite of the peanuts. <laughs> He's even worse than pig pen. Yeah. And the phobia of slime is strangely blenophobia. 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 I don't get that at all. Yeah, and I actually couldn't find out the origin of, the, of bleno, but hmm. blenuria is the rarely used term for excretion of excess mucus in the urine. Oh, okay. I would think that any mucus in the urine would be excess, excess. but what do I know? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Bleno is Greek for slime. Oh, okay. Not Latin. Greek. Snot. Allergy seasons is starting. Now, in general, nasal mucus is clear and thin, serving to filter air during inhalation. During times of infectious, mucus can change color to yellow or green, either as a result of trapped bacteria or due to the body's reaction to viral infection. The green color of mucus comes from the heme group in the iron-containing enzyme myeloperoxidase secreted by white blood cells. Bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. I know very little about slime. Bet you're not going to remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, maybe if you'd pronounced it correctly. Myeloperoxidase. Per. I think the P-E-R is per because it's saying there's one myelo per oxidase. Myeloperoxidase. <laughs> there you go. Uh, an oxidase is any enzyme that catalyzes an oxidation reduction reaction involving molecular oxygen as oh. the electron acceptor. <laughs> now it makes perfect sense. Why didn't you say that? In Torn? these reactions, oxygen is reduced to water or, or hydrogen peroxide. Some diseases that feature slime heavily or mucus heavily mm-hmm. is cystic fibrosis. I mean, I always see fundraisers for cystic fibrosis and, you know... Uh, Do you think they need a slimy mascot like Slimer? Yeah, well, I don't actually know what cystic fibrosis is. It's an inherited disease that affects the entire body, but symptoms begin mostly in the lungs with extremely viscous production of mucus that is difficult to expel. Oh, that doesn't sound like fun at all. No. Well, we should start a fundraiser to like help people out with that. I mean, I would imagine that there are some sort of like beneficial slime... Oh, absolutely. Well, mucus in well, general, if it's not infected, is, is very beneficial. Yeah, it's like your, uh, your, your, your nose scrubber. In the digestive system, mucus is used as a lubricant for materials that must pass over membranes. For example, food passing down the esophagus. 
or esophagus. A layer of mucus along the inner walls of the stomach is vital to protect the cell linings of that organ from the highly acidic environment within it. Oh, so this is one of these double-edged swords we're talking about. Not, is it, not so cutty. More like uh, no-edged shields, actually. Well, yes, <laughs> until it starts to fill up your lungs. Like a no-edged shield that I stuffed down your throat. <laughs> the same protective layer of mucus is what comes out when one sneezes. Mucus does not digest in the intestinal tract. Mucus is also secreted from glands within the rectum due to stimulation of the mucous membrane within. I That's didn't know that that was another uh, mucal area. Font, a I, font of mucus. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I learned that on a, a, a Thousand Ways to Die by, on Spike TV. Oh? Because evidently the best way to get drunk is to actually pour it in your butt. If by best you mean most dangerous? Yes. Yes. And well, fastest. <laughs> and therefore most dangerous. Yes. Right. Because uh, I guess it's, it's the largest mucal membrane in your body, so mm. it absorbs alcohol super fast. Yeah. So why uh, did we not do this for our alcohol episode? Because then I would be dead and would not have to live with the shame. (laughs) The shame of the after effects of your drunken rants. Does anyone have any snot stories they want to share? I thought you were asking if I had snot because the answer is yes. Does anyone have any snot they want to share? Should we start a pool? Put it up on eBay? Official caustic soda snot? No, because then somebody take my DNA and clone me. Oh, that's your worst fear. (laughs) Yeah, running into me That's on certainly the my worst fear. More than one Kevin running around. The extra mucus version. Yeah. That reminds me of that tick episode. Which tick episode? The tick episode where he gets cloned and turned into a snot clone. <laughs> oh, we got to talk was, about with, that. With uh, Thrakazog. Is that the tick versus the common cold? Yes, it is. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Thrakazog played by Tim Curry. That is a good one. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, his roommate. <laughs> yeah. yeah Thrakazog. Right. I have a snot story. Okay, go. All right, this was when I was in high school. And you are not going to believe me when I tell it to you. I, uh, now I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I was this. on the bus. Mm-hmm. The bus had parked. I had arrived at the school, so everyone was getting off. And there was this guy. I can't remember his name. I'm going to say it's Ed. All right. Yeah. Let's just say his name's Ed. And he was sitting on the other side of the bus from me. I was in the back reading my comic <laughs> book or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting on the other side of the bus and maybe two seats ahead of me. Maybe one, maybe two. Right. He's definitely in front of me. Opposite side of the aisle. And he sneezed. <laughs> And what came out? <laughs> Beggar's description, my friend. <laughs> it was easily the size of – now, I was younger, so I was smaller. Yeah. But I wasn't that small. No. This is like, you know, 12, 13, 14. Right. That kind, of, that kind of area. So I know the size of a dinner plate. And I would say that the amount of snot that hit the seat in – the back of the seat in front of him was the size of a dinner plate. Wow. That is pretty and impressive. It was it was thick. Mm-hmm. It was yellow, like a creamy yellow, an opaque yeah. creamy yellow. Meaning he was infected. Shouldn't have been going I don't to know school. how long he had been saving that up. <laughs> you know, he probably had one of those things where, he, like, for a couple days, he could feel it. Yeah. And he was like, oh, oh, yeah. oh. And then you were there to witness the, the tremendous release. The I was agog and aghast that that, was even, that would even be possible, the amount. Yeah. Came out of that guy's head Here's- and landed on the back of the seat. I would not have been because of my experiences growing up with mucus problems because I oh. had allergies. And, of course, being older than everybody, there was not really much in the way of non-drowsy allergy medication when mm. I was a kid. It was you either got basically stoned. Or you sucked it up and put up with your allergies. And my allergies were bad, so bad that I basically would sit in class constantly (laughs) trying to deal with it, blowing my nose. Were you allergic to your teacher? I was allergic to grass pollen and mold. 
And I mm-hmm. guess the grass pollen from the fields outside would just fill the school because, of course, the doors are open all the time. So you had to sit in the back. I constantly had teachers ask me if I was sick or needed to do anything about right. it. And I'm like, no, it's just allergies. Can't get rid of it. Do you want to blow your nose? Just did. It'll be right back. <laughs> you know what the good part about Torrin's story is, or maybe the bad part, is that it's a part. It it could have conceivably not hit the seat in front of him, but hit like the back of somebody's head. That's true. Or because Torrin was behind him, bounced off the seat. No, there was no bouncing. I'm saying it, it could stuck have. like yeah. a like a protozoan <laughs> attached to Spock's ass. There was a, there was a slap. You've been reading some weird Star Trek slash fiction again, haven't you? <laughs> Imagine being the person sitting in front of them because you'd never see it coming. You'd be like getting shot by a sniper. <laughs> and if this thing is exactly the size like of a dinner that. plate and you're 12 years old and your head is, you know, not maybe necessarily so fully formed, it could conceivably have like wrapped itself all the way around oh and suffocated this poor child to death. That's I true. have newfound respect for porn stars. You guys heard of snotites? Is that Superman's arch nemesis from beyond the nasal drip? Negative zone. Snotites are colonies of single-celled extremophilic bacteria they hang from the walls and ceilings of caves and are similar to small stalactites but have the consistency of snot so their official name is snotite it's what the scientists call it who discovered it oh they look gross the bacteria derive their energy from chemosynthesis of volcanic sulfur compounds including h2s uh hydrogen sulfate hydrogen sulfide and warm water solution dripping down from above, producing sulfuric acid. Because of this, their waste products are highly acidic, with similar properties to battery acid. Snotites were recently brought to the attention uh, by researchers studying them and other organisms in a toxic sulfur cave called Cueva de Villa Luz. Cueva I think the sea would be de Villa Luz. The cave of the Lighted House. In Tabasco, Mexico. Or mm-hmm. Mexico. So uh, battery acid in the caves and uh, a little spicy tamale on the streets. Tabasco. (laughs) Brian Cox's BBC series Wonders of the Solar System saw the scientists examining snotites in the caves and positing that if there is life on Mars, it may be similarly primitive and hidden beneath the surface of the red planet. He's saying because there's a battery acid kind of uh, off-put and all the rest of that stuff. He's saying that aliens from the alien movies live on Mars. That, that's exactly that. what he's saying. He said that. That's right. I, that's what I heard. And then they're made of snot. Yeah, I don't know what the official name of the aliens from the alien movies are. I can't recall, but uh, they should be renamed snotites. I think they're called xenomorphs. Well, xenomorph is just a uh, description for a non-Earth-based entity. Xeno meaning from elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. I stand by my <laughs> statement. <laughs> I stand by it, too. It sounds good to me. It's just a fancy way of saying alien. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the alien is called xenomorph, which means alien. Totally. You could also call it E.T., yeah, which stands Let's for do that. <laughs> extraterrestrial. ET2. It eats Elliot's face off. His little finger comes and lights up, but then it opens up and there's another light inside. And then that opens up. <laughs> yum, yum. And there's a little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Gently nibbling away at his face while yeah. he's sleeping. Star jelly. All right. My uh, next item on the list. Good for your toast while you're in space? Your space toast. You yeah. know, I often spread star jelly on it. Also called astromixin, astrogelly, powder sere, star rot, and star shot. Star rot? Yeah. That sounds like what you get in an intergalactic hoover house. Star rot. Yeah, Galactus had that on his cosmic dong. (laughs) Uh, Star jelly is a gelatinous substance which, according to folklore, is deposited on the Earth during meteor showers. It is described as a translucent or grayish-white gelatin which tends to evaporate shortly after having fallen. 
Explanations have ranged from the material being the remains of frogs and toads or of worms to the byproducts of cyanobacteria to paranormal origins. Reports of the compound date back to the 14th century and continue to the present. I love or paranormal origins, which means or the universe works completely differently from the way that we think based on all the other evidence we've had. And it's some kind of magic. It kind of sounds like people don't really know what this stuff is. I yes. mean, does it actually exist, or is this like a mythical creature? It's is this like the the space jelly slime version of the Loch Ness monster, or what? There are various accounts, and I have probably the most complete account. Let's hear it. it. Is Mrs. Sybil Christian of Frisco, Texas? Ooh, she found blobs from space <laughs> on her lawn. Uh, it was uh, responded to on the Straight Dope. No, you right. guys know the Straight Dope. Yep. Oh, yeah, Cecil. great site. Can I butt in and say, please, if you find out anything that sounds crazy, go to the straightdope.com first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Snopes. A uh, newspaper clipping reporting that during the height of a meteor shower on August 11th, 1979, three oozing purple blobs were found on a lawn in Frisco, Texas. These blobs had some very strange properties. Surmising that the blobs fell from space, NASA removed them for testing. Yes, the NASA. Uh-huh. The blobs were found by Mrs. Sybil Christian on her front lawn. She described them as smooth whipped cream, only purple, about the size of a telephone, and weighed a couple pounds apiece. They were warm to the touch and contained small chunks of lead. All right, here's the thing. (laughs) If I find oozing purple slime balls on my lawn that I suspect fell from space, how would I ever know that they're warm to the touch? Because you're going to fucking touch it. I would never touch it in a million years. It's the last thing that I would do. It's like, oh, hey, kid, uh, if you lick that really cold pole, your tongue will stick to it. And the first thing the kid does is lick it. That kid is not a member of Mensa. Uh, One of the blobs melted away on the lawn, but police took the remaining two to the Heard National Space Museum nearby, and eventually one ended up at NASA. The Perseid? Perseid? How do you say Perseid. Perseid. Thank you. Meteor shower had reached its height around August 11th. And one of Mrs. Christian's neighbors said she had seen a meteor just a few hours before the blobs were discovered. This gave rise to the story about the blobs' extraterrestrial origin. Here's what bugs me about her theory, though. Like, oh, well, the Perseid meteor showers were off, and then these things were on my lawn, so they must have come from space. If somebody knocks at her door, does she think it's an alien because the meteor shower is going on? Somebody's knocking on my door, and the Perseid meteor showers are going on. That's an alien who's landed in my yard from space. Maybe if that person is gelatinous and purple. There's definitely a leap of logic (laughs) involved here. An assistant director of the Fort Worth Museum of Science and History and a couple newspaper people commenced prowling around factories near the home of Mrs. Sybil Christian. Eventually, they came upon a battery reprocessing plant about a mile and a half away, in the back of which they found several tons of purple and reddish blobs. Tons of blobs? Yes. You know what that means? They're raising space aliens. That's <laughs> the breeding ground. Spawn more overlords. Do you want to know what it was? Yes. I know. Hint. There's a podcast named after it. <laughs> oh, uh, Adam Carolla. Cost- <laughs> it was Adam Carolla. <laughs> it was caustic soda. All right. Caustic soda equals space jelly. This is awesome. Used to clean impurities out of lead that had been salvaged from old batteries. <laughs> it was also learned that trucks carrying scrap iron went past the caustic soda dump and uh, the Christian's house every day. This was literally stuff that fell off a truck. <laughs> Seems to be. Man, how come the, 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 the place from like the stereo factory never drives by my house <laughs> and leaves a couple of them? I found on a stereo from space on my lawn. <laughs> 
So there's a whole bunch of stories that are similar to that. So space jelly really actually doesn't exist. This is people surmising that something came yeah, from space that they find. Yeah, it's folklore. Uh, for example, the slime mold Enteridium lycoperdon is named Caca de Luna. I love that name. <laughs> Caca de- space shit. Is that, does that translate moon, to space? Moon shit. Moon, moon, moon shit, poop. Yeah. By the locals in the state of Veracruz in Mexico. And what exactly caca is that stuff? Luna. What is the Caca de Luna? It's a slime mold. Oh, okay. So we could talk about slime. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on slime molds because we're going to have a mold episode. Okay. But I do want to mention. Well, so we should talk about just what makes slime mold slime. Like what, what differentiates it from regular mold? Slime mold is a broad term, in fact, mm-hmm. describing protists, which are unicellular eukaryote organisms that use spores to reproduce. Slime molds were formerly classified as fungi but are no longer considered part of this kingdom. Properties include uh, they hate light, and right. some slime molds can grow up to five meters wide. In so, both of those, it's a lot like a World of Warcraft player. Yes. Hates light. Can grow exactly. five meters wide. You slime mold. We are totally going to get flamed by all these World of Warcraft people. Speaking. Now, Fuligo septica is a species of plasmodial slime mold and a member of the Myxomycetes class. It is commonly known as the dog vomit slime mold. Nice. I want to start a punk band called Primordial Slime Mold, obviously. Plasmodial? Plasmodial. I said primordial, didn't I? Yep. That's fine. Punks don't care about accuracy. <laughs> Uh, it's a common species w- with worldwide distribution. It is often found on bark mulch in urban areas after heavy rain or excessive water. Jim, no! Dog vomit slime mold. Yeah. So, is you know, it's uh, slimy and it's moldy. I'm looking at the picture of the dog vomit slime mold, and that does look like things that my dog has vomited up. All right, I want to talk about hagfish. There's a lot of cool things about hagfish. Yeah. Not the least of which is that they can tie themselves in a knot to get better purchase on the cadavers that they're pulling apart. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> But they also generate... They can actually tie themselves in a knot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should call them Kevin's penis fish. Okay. Done. So the Kevin's penis fish (laughs) has little glands along its side that uh, excrete a substance that reacts with seawater to make volumes and volumes of slime. Now, I don't usually like to do this because this is an audio podcast, but there's a video that you guys have to watch. A video about what? A A video of hagfish being... Molested and okay. creating slime All right. in a bucket. So we'll post this on the website, obviously. So there's a little hagfish in a bucket, and the guy just kind of just kind of touches it. He doesn't like squeeze it or anything. He just kind of moves it around a bit, and it starts to uh, excrete from the glands, okay. the substance that creates the slime in the seawater. Yeah. So he's going to do this for a bit, and then he's going to pull the hagfish out, separates the hagfish, and now essentially he has a bucket. Full of slime. Filled with slime that he just keeps pulling out. He keeps pulling it out. Wow. Yeah, like he touched that hagfish for like 10, 10 seconds. 10 seconds, yeah, I would say. And now, now this is a defensive mechanism because then it, it turns all the water around it into slime? Yeah, and if you're a fish trying to eat it, you can actually choke on, on the, the slime. On the slime. Oh, okay, cool. It, it can maneuver through all the slime, no problem. Uh, yeah, it just kind of swims away. Right. Just keeps making more and more and more of this. <laughs> I wonder if there's thick, a limit. Viscous, semi-transparent, yeah, horrible you can't, goo. You cannot see the slime when it's in the water, and he just like runs his hand through the water, which looks like totally normal water. He just ends up yeah. with like handfuls and handfuls of slime, and yeah. you can see him just totally swimming right out of the slime. Oh yeah, and he does it right there. He like tries to hold onto it, and it just like and all he's got like, left in his hands is this big packet of goo. That is disgusting. 
All right, there's a couple of items I got from Popular Science called the Worst Jobs in Science. There is the Oceanic Snot Diver. This, is, uh, this isn't just a guy who's got a really bad cold who's uh, going deep sea diving? No. This is the ocean has a cold. Oh, let's hear it. Entire ocean! <laughs> uh, every so often, the Mediterranean hawks up a loogie. The balls of mucus known as marine mucilage are enormous gelatinous masses of organic material emitted by stressed-out plankton. Stressed out plankton. What do plankton have to be stressed out about? It's like, oh, we're not going to make the mortgage this week, honey. <laughs> you don't know plankton. You don't know. What you I think you know with... plankton, but you don't know plankton. <laughs> Just floating here in the ocean with very little locomotive power, and along comes a whale. He almost ate me. It's going to get me tomorrow, and there's nothing I can do. That's true. So They're at the out. bottom of the food chain. I would be more stressed out. Yeah, you'd think they'd be stressed out more often, actually. Yeah, well, there you, maybe that's why there's so much marine mucilage. You need to do some yoga to just you know mellow out, man. All right, so how big are these balls of mucilage? Do you have any idea? They harbor everything from dead shrimp to bacteria known to infect humans. Fishermen have encountered the Mare Sporco, Dirty Sea, off Italy's eastern coast for centuries, but the snot balls now appear more frequently last several months, and sometimes reach over 120 miles in length. What? I, when, you, when you threw the 120, I, I was like going, oh, meters? Okay, 120 meters. That's yeah, pretty right. big. It's pretty big. 120 miles? Of marine mucilage from that, stressed out plankton. Wow. Antonio Pesciutti of the Polytechnic University of March in Italy and other scientists don scuba gear and jump right in with the foul globs using large syringes to collect jugs in the material to study in the lab. He's Italian and his name is Prosciutto? P-U-S-C-E-D-D-U. Oh, okay. Not prosciutto. <laughs> I was about to say, he's very salty and tasty. Much like a seaman. <clears throat> you know, a guy who goes out on the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's very salty. <laughs> Uh, his findings indicate that global warming could be putting slime production into overdrive. Other scientists worry that overfishing and pollution in the region may contribute to the mucus by disrupting the local ecosystem. The smell of mucilage can vary depending on the age of these aggregates. Uh, at the very beginning, they smell like seafood, but with time, the smell shifts to the one typically associated with the decomposing eggs. <laughs> It's <laughs> the best I got. <laughs> wow. Uh, that does not hold a muster oh, to your Kentucky hick. No. That's for sure. That, I don't know how you managed to make that even more racist <laughs> than like almost every other accent you've done. Well, because there's absolutely no accuracy to it whatsoever. <laughs> no one would ever mistake that for an actual Italian accent. And but, so now it just comes across like he's making fun of them. There you have it. So it goes from smelling fishy. To smelling like decomposing, decomposing eggs. Ugh. That's not a good smell. No. <laughs> no that's, that's a, that's a, Think of a spoiled fish and egg sandwich. It, oh. You know what? That should be an unpopular science. That was the cover story on its very last issue. <laughs> also the very first issue. Yeah. It was unpopular. <laughs> All right, last item. Sneeze modeler. Okay, my, don't tell us yet what it is. My mind is filled with all sorts of thoughts. <laughs> is it a guy who's making modeler. models out of sneeze material? Or is he a guy who uh, is hired to sneeze, like in commercials and whatnot? Or is it a computer program meant to Ooh. to model the way that things fly out of your head when you sneeze? Ooh, that's a lot more sciencey. That's probably I know. Joe's closest. Okay, someone sick sneezes near you, and then you get sick, right? But the work done by U of California at Berkeley researcher Mark Nikus and others modeling infection pathways shows that we barely understand how infection works. Uh -huh. The size of the particles coughed onto you matters, as does where they land. 
That's why Nikus, under a joint grant from the Department of Homeland Security, I wish I had a joint grant, and the EPA has begun a hunt for better data on bursts of mucus and saliva. A volunteer swishes a salt solution before coughing on a plastic face. Oh, plastic, too bad. Mm. Yeah, you that can volunteer, be... <laughs> Torrin. <clears throat> well, you'd have to pay double what you'd normally pay for scientific experimentation. <laughs> Sneeze Just that in the face. stand there and get oh, sneezed no. in the face. There's, there's all sorts of college students who'll do this. They need money. You're not going to have beer for nothing. Imagine if it's your job and you like accidentally like go to say something right before they do it and you get it like in your mouth. You, you do that. Put your no finger, wait. Oh. put your finger up on your mouth. <laughs> oh, one last thing, and you open your mouth and yeah. get it. Yeah, you get sneezed into. <laughs> Using a chloride ion detector, Nickus and his assistants can determine how much spittle hits the vulnerable parts of the face. For 100 years, no one has tried in a good way to measure what fraction of cough fluid would strike the eyes, nose, and lips. Information like this currently doesn't exist. They're breaking ground in sneezology. Listen, when you people out there think that science knows everything, it doesn't and it knows it, so it's figuring it out now. These are things we need to know. Where does the snot land in your face when I sneeze pointed at you? Can it bounce off mirrors like light and hit you? We don't know. Is there an inverse square law in here somewhere? I'm sure there is. Oh, for sure. It's got to be. It's got to be kind of radial. So, you know, the farther out it goes, the more it spreads out. And inverse square is, how, is what describes that. I seem to remember an episode of Mythbusters where they put a mouthful of, like, food dye or something in their mouths mm-hmm. and then sneezed onto a white piece of paper. Oh, to make art? At Jackson Sneezek. Jackson, yes. They were looking into what was the best way to keep your sneeze from getting on other people. Oh. To use your hand. Right. Or to just do it without your hand or to use your either the crook of your elbow. Seems kind of like obvious. <laughs> well, the the part that, that wasn't so obvious was that the using just your hand yeah. was in some ways almost worse than no. just sneezing straight out. Because when you sneeze straight out, you would cover a farther distance. But when you used your hand, it would like deflect both up and down and cover like a wider area. Oh, I'm just going to sneeze in your face. straight then. out. Yeah, just sneeze straight out. <laughs> and then you only hit one person instead of hitting many people near you. I often sneeze into my cat's face just for fun. <laughs> I've been told you got to sneeze in, into your elbow. No, that's, that, that's the thing. Sneeze and cough into your elbow. That's In Mythbusters, they proved definitively that that was the best way to keep the sneeze radius from getting on anything else. And also, you're not putting the germs all over your hands, which are then going to touch things. The secret really is to sneeze into your helmet. You wear a helmet on a constant basis. Well, if I think or when I you got a cold, when you have a cold, yeah, you, yeah, you wear a cold helmet. You go with your sneeze helmet. So what is it? It's a, it's like a, a helmet that like jet fighters use, and you just like throw down the visor. It's a <laughs> then it's sneeze a on the visor. Yeah, and then sneeze you just on the visor and then pull it up, pull and it, right it drips down slowly <laughs> throughout the day. Precisely. I was thinking it would be a, it would be like a fishbowl astronaut helmet, but it would have a squeegee in the inside. Hat <laughs> 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 you. You just sneeze and then rotate it like twenty degrees. Until the end of the day, it's all, oh, i got to take my sneeze helmet off. Oh, I can see again. Or maybe it, it you have a, a helmet that has a, a giant, like, roll of paper right around your mouth and nose area. Like, when you sneeze, then you just pull it and go, and tear it off and throw it away. And a new, fresh piece of paper is in front of your mouth and nose area. TM. Oh, curses. <laughs> I was walking down the beach one bright and sunny day. I saw a great big wooden box a-floating in the bay. I pulled it in and opened it up, and much to my surprise, ooh, I discovered a... 
Right before my eyes, oh, I discovered a... Right before my eyes, I picked it up and ran to town as happy as a king. I took it to a guy I knew who'd buy most anything. But this is what he hollered at me as I walked in his shop. Oh, get out of here with that. Before I call a cop. Oh, get out of here with that. Before I call a cop. I turned around and got right out of running for my life. And then I took it home with me to give it to my wife. But this is what she hollered at me as I walked in the door. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. I wandered all around the town until I chanced to meet a hobo who was looking for a hand out on the street. He said he'd take most any old thing. He was a desperate man. But when I showed him the... He turned around and ran. Oh, when I showed him the... He turned around and ran. I wandered on for many years, a victim of my fate. Until one day I came upon St. Peter at the gate. And when I tried to take it inside, he told me where to go. Get out of here with that. And take it down below. Oh, get out of here with that. And take it down below. In the news. Face cream made of snail slime. What? Capabel cream is tipped to go on sale in Britain. The company that makes it promises to nourish skin and iron out wrinkles. It was developed by Laboratorios Lycia in Colombia, where snails are bred for use in aquariums, after people who handled them discovered their hands were left plump and silky soft. What? I like how in Colombia, having plump hands is a <laughs> it's something that you want. You know, I'll, Oh, she's so sexy. Look at how plump her hands are. <laughs> From a guy perspective, plump hands is the absolute last thing you want in a girl because <laughs> make Johnson look smaller. <laughs> I th- I thought you would prefer plump and soft over small and bony, though. <laughs> well, it's visual versus tactile. I guess yeah. the ever constant battle. <laughs> So you want somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Baby, don't use so much sl- snail slime. Your hands are looking too big. Ooh, unless. You're giving me a complex. No. Use snail slime on your penis. Make that plump. Right. Make everything more plump. <laughs> Bring in the snails. <laughs> the snail slime will soon be showcased at a cosmetics exhibition in Milan, Italy. Ten pounds for a container of Cabibel cream. Ten pounds sterling. Yes. So like $22. I heard about, uh, from my friend Eve, the Osidax mucoflorus, which was recently dis- discovered being the bone-eating snot flower worm. Bone-eating snot, snot flower worm. worm. There are too many awesome words in that for me to even focus for like a half a second on that. It's a recently described species of bathypelagic polychaetes, annelid worms, generally marine so this seems to sustain itself on the bones of dead whales. So they found a whale skeleton at the bottom of the ocean uh-huh. yeah. and inside it and sticking out little p- bits of itself, uh, I guess, to extract other sustenance or Probably something. Probably breathing the gills. <laughs> breathing yeah. and things like that is this worm. So it's eating the bone, but mm-hmm. it sticks out its tendrils and then covers them with this gross mucus that looks like snot. Oh, nice. And there's not much uh, not much information about it online. There's a few articles. I guess I can link some. Oh, well, we'll keep you updated then. But it's really Count on true. caustic soda to keep you updated on the bone-eating snot flower This worm. is only about uh, six years old. 
that this was discovered. Hey, the bone-eating snot flatworm, what does that do and what does it look like? We should give that a more professional scientific name. Yeah. Hey, uh, how do you say bone-eating snot flower in Latin? <laughs> Osidax mucoflorus. Done. Oh, okay. I endorse the bone-eating snot flower worm. So do I. Mm-hmm. Can it be our new mascot? Oh, you're going to get rid of uh, Lester of Two Evils? <laughs> No, this will be our new name for all of our supporters and followers. <laughs> the bone-eating snot flower Hey, all you bone-eating snot flower worms out there. <laughs> <That'll>... <laughs> this one's <Okay>. for you. <laughs> all right, well, then we're on to pop culture. I can't. There's, there's no movies that we like in series that have lots of mucus slime. and slime in them, is there? He slimed me. Slimer. Slimer. He, here's what I want to know, because Slimer only really makes one appearance in the movie, and mm-hmm. yet he became a major character in the animated series. That's very true, because during the 80s, all cartoons must have cutesy mascots. Orko, Uni, yeah. mm-hmm. Bandit. That's true. I guess that's Snarf. True. Snarf. Snarf, so- Snarf. <laughs> what do I know? Snarf, Snarf. I, it still works. I'm still laughing. <laughs> that was obviously the perfect strategy. And uh, But he was also in the second movie as the bus driver. That's right. Slimer. And in the second true. movie, River of Slime. River of Slime. It was pink, though, right? It was yeah. different because it, it was green. And yeah, it wasn't green, ectoplasm. Greenish in the first one. It was what just is- negative energy slime. Oh. I wasn't a fan of the second Ghostbusters movie. No. There's good parts in it, though. I certainly... Vigo the Carpathian. He, is like the buzzing of, he were like the buzzing of flies to Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that character was funny. He was great. Yeah. Isn't he one of the guys from Ally McBeal? Yeah, he was also uh, on Chicago Hope. He was like the in-house counsel. He was also in Dragon Slayer That's as right. Dragon Slayer. That's right. He was Slayer. the Dragon Slayer. Oh! Really? Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol. And then in Ghostbusters 2, they had those canisters filled with positive slime. Where do you, oh, get, right. where do you get positive slime? Uh, you speak nicely to it. Remember that whole sequence where <laughs> he was nurturing the slime and cuddling with it? <laughs> Egon. <laughs> So it's a story. It's a tale of redemption. Of, yeah, kind of. Of, of mucus redemption. I never really realized how much of a major character Slime was in the second movie. Yeah, like, you they know, made they a say, toaster dance. You know, sometimes you'll say you see a movie and you're like, "Oh, the location is like another character in the film, right?" Uh, it's like like Winter's Bone. It's like, oh yeah, well you know, location. Winter's Bone Eating Snot Flower Worm. <laughs> in, in this case, Slime was like the. Other character in the movie. That's true. Probably why I didn't care for that movie. Deal Makes so up much. for Vigo the Carpathian not being much of a character in that movie. Anticlimactic villain of all time, maybe. I think the funny story about that movie is the actor who was playing Vigo mm-hmm. didn't know that his voice was being dubbed until the screener. Oh, much like Darth the Vader. Premiere. That was what I, that's what Stewie once told me. Oh, really? Mm. That would be a bit of a shock, eh? I would trust Stewie. For those who don't know, Stewie is a... We call him Mr. Ghostbusters. Primo Ghostbusters fan. He runs ProtonCharging.com. I know a certain movie with slime in it. All right. Called The Blob. Oh, The Blob. Oh, yeah, of course. The original slime movie. From 1958, starring Steve McQueen. Love to say starring a young Steve McQueen, but the, the man never looked young. What is it? He, uh, he was playing a 17-year-old. He actually Wait. was 28, and he looked like he was 42. Right. <laughs> and as a special treat to everyone, all of our listeners... Go to causticsodapodcast.com because we have created an iRiff. What's an iRiff, Joe? Uh, That's basically an audio track to play along next to a movie where we make fun of it. So put a movie in a DVD player or download it on video on demand or whatever, however you get movies into your house. Start the movie, then start the MP3, and we'll have it all. We'll have a little special way to sync it up, and then you will watch the movie while the Caustic Soda crew make fun of it. It's like one of those cool voiceover tracks you can get on DVDs. Basically like Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm-hmm. but for movies that we, we don't, don't need to, to get the rights to. 
Riftrax is hosts the iRiffs, and Riftrax are the mystery science, some of the mystery science theater three thousand guys. I love Riftrax. Go spend lots of money there. So, so go to our website and check that out. So don't really want to, uh, I guess, blow any of the jokes or anything like that that we pull on <laughs> don't the iRiff. Don't we though? But what a terrible movie! <laughs> the acting was singularly deplorable. Yeah. The plot was laughable. The conclusion was peremptory at best. <laughs> It really obviously shows how nascent the horror movie genre was in 1958. But saying that, you can also see the advantage to kind of taking yourself just a little too seriously when you do it and for the for the comedic effect in that. Like I can see that that movie was one where people watched it and then started to figure out, hey, we could do horror movies and just try to play them straight and that will make them funny. So we'll acknowledge the funny while playing straight. And I think there's been a lot of movies that have really taken that and run with it. Do you think that they had the ridiculously jazzy theme music yeah. <laughs> as part of that strategy? I don't think that they consciously had that strategy. I think they accidentally came up with that. And that I they think that others, others have noticed that and then codified and, and yeah. created that kind they of Because that was by Burt Bacharach, I believe. Beware the Blob was the name of the, the title track. Yeah, and, and you could get it on you know, EP by, or whatever. Performed by the five blobs. On vinyl. <laughs> Back when you would form a band just to yeah. do a soundtrack piece. Yeah. The five blobs were actually just the one singer, Bernie Knee, overdubbing himself. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. So the, the five blobs were one guy, which makes sense because, you know, one blob would split into five blobs. Mm-hmm. I would uh, lump it in some of the, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't <laughs> at all. It's not a good movie, but there are movies that I have not been able to get through even with Rift Tracks accompaniment. I still cannot finish Battlefield Earth. Even with the Mystery Science Theater 3000 guys making fun of it the whole way through, it is too painful to complete. Yeah, it's bad. Whereas the Blob, we were just watching it. <laughs> blob, we were just watching it. It was like, yeah, this is not really a it's good It's got movie. really terrible parts, but then, you yeah. know. But there's nothing that, there's like. other parts that are even. Keeping in mind that we were watching it with the idea of making fun of it the whole time. So we were right. in a different mind frame than trying to actually sit there and enjoy it. I, I agree, but, that, but that's why I bring up watching Battlefield Earth with riff tracks. I'm trying to enjoy how terrible the movie it is. But I guess I, you're but, trying to compare apples but, to apples. But I could situation. not. Whereas the blob was just, it never like got into my brain and gouged out part of it like that kind of bad. <laughs> like it never, it never physically caused mental damage for being so bad, unlike Battlefield Earth. Well, how about this then? How about it just it did not accomplish its stated goal, which is to Granted. frighten people. And it was not scary in the least. Granted. I'm not arguing this is a good movie. All right. I'm just arguing that this is not one of the worst movies ever made. But here's an interesting thing you may not have known about the origin of the movie, The Blob. And this calls back to the Star Jelly segment we did at the top of the show. All right. In the San Francisco Chronicle, gelatinous meteors, also known as the powder serif phenomenon, are rare but not unknown. On September 26, 1950, patrolman John Collins and Joseph Keenan saw one of these things land in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and was seen oozing its way up a telephone pole. <laughs> The incident became the basis for Steve McQueen's 1958 horror movie, The Blob. The site was located within a half mile of the Philadelphia Gas Works, leading to the possibility that it was some type of industrial discharge. So these two cops claim that they saw a like gelatinous blob climbing a telephone pole? Yeah. All right, and the fact they didn't come back with this like oozing, climbing gelatinous blob in their possession didn't Whoa. strike anybody as odd. Maybe they both died horribly trying to do that. And then there was a sequel, Beware the Blob. Ooh, just like the title of the song. Also known as 
son of Blob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cashing in on director Larry Hagman's fame as a as the star of Dallas, a canny distributor reissued Beware the Blob, aka Son of Blob, with the Come On Line, the film that Jr. shot. Oh, showing oh, our age. Brilliant. So, what year did Son of Blob come out? Shot in '72, and a remake of the same name was made in 1988. Which I've also seen. The 1988, oh, saw- the Blob. Oh yeah, how was that? Oh, it was terrible. It's got to be even worse than 1958 version. I don't know. You don't have that sort of like innocent, like, eh, they didn't really know what they were doing and there was no money behind it. And it was just like a vehicle to showcase a young, dashing Steve McQueen who starred in the remake of the 1988 remake of The Blob. Kevin Dillon. Of Entourage fame. It's pretty funny. It looks, his performance looks like it's Johnny Drama, a young Johnny Drama from Entourage doing it. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you how The Blob took over the movie world by storm because it took them 14 years to come up with a sequel. <laughs> exactly. People were clamoring for it. Well, speaking of his success, uh, Steve McQueen was only paid $3,000 for his role in the film. He had been offered an upfront smaller sum, but 10% of the profits, and he turned it down because he didn't think the movie would make any money, and it ended up grossing $4 million. And then, in addition to that, Steve McQueen was hired, signed a contract for a three-film deal. So difficult to work with, he was released from that contract. After the blob? During the blob. Oh, really? It was the first of his three-picture deal, yep. and they're like, screw this. Yep. <laughs> Maybe have something to do with him smoking in one of the shots. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> the alien movies. Oh, of course. Slime everywhere. And that became, the slime was seemed like a lubricant, but I didn't they also have like a resin? It, was that the same slime, do you think, or do you think it, it came out, from? But, it, but I got the feeling that they would exude that slime, and then it would solidify yeah. eventually and yeah. form those the, the cave walls. that Because you would be walking through that spaceship or wh- whatever it was, and you'd be in, or or the just the, the power plant or something. And yeah, then all of a sudden, the second movie. And all of a sudden, you'd be in an area that instead was much more organic and, and gigorous. Yeah, yeah, and then of course you also have that kind of that resin that they would actually put the human bodies in. That's yeah. true. That yeah. would be house the the and the, that certainly that they were started, hanging from. That certainly started to slime, but but was obviously becoming more solid. So I think that definitely hints that that's what. And there was happening. a scene in the original movie with the main guy, the captain or whatever, traveling through the ducks. Tom the, Skerritt. Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt yeah. yeah, and the two bleeps met. Yeah. And oh, that yeah. was the, the the end of Tom Scared, as far as we knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then there was a cut scene that was later on in the movie where he was all stuck up in goo. Yeah. Right. You never see anybody, any alien, like, holding somebody up against the wall, like, spitting on them. No, but we certainly saw it coming from their second mouth. Like, Definitely. Their second mouth had yeah. goop. Oh, well, that, like, super, super cool scene where the, the first time you see it, like, full frame, full body, mm-hmm. when Harry Dean Stanton is, like, looking for the cat, yeah. and he, like, comes around the Georgie. corner. The, uh He looks up, and, it, and then the mouth just opens super slowly, and the second mouth comes yeah. out, and it's, like, just dripping slime constantly, and then right before it gives it to him right between the eyes. You can't do that on television. Oh, I've been slimed. The green slime. Yeah. Whenever you said, I don't know. If you said, I don't know, you got a bucket of green slime dropped on you. Yeah, you can't do that on television. <laughs> I don't know why I ever liked that show, but I did. What a terrible punishment for admitting honest ignorance. No. Mm-hmm. Like that is, I don't know is a fine answer to something. Oh, Joe, because I can't that, believe you just said that. Because that opens up, <laughs> <laughs> that opens up the ability to learn. Whereas if you fake it, then you never learn. You know, this just goes to show that nobody on that show owned a thesaurus. Because <laughs> you're like, I'm not sure. 
I'm uncertain. I'm, I'm going to have to get back to you on I, that. I can't recall <laughs> to, to, if you're feeling very Reagan. Or very political. That's a very interesting question. Let me answer something completely different. Now, and I found some official recipes of the slime oh, on nice. ycdtotv.com. Y-C-D-O-T-O. You can't do that on, on TV.com. There were actually three different recipes. They would use them official in different recipes. circumstances? Well, probably depending on what the guest, they had. Right? <laughs> you know, somebody that didn't like, they'd add dog poop. <laughs> uh, slime number one, water, jello powder, flour, baby shampoo. Mix them up and chill slightly. All right. Official slime number two, cream of wheat, Yee. cold water, shampoo, and green coloring. Ooh, that would sting in the eyes. I guess so. If it's maybe not baby that was shampoo. maybe that was an earlier recipe, and then mm. too many kids running up the stage screaming, "My eyes! <laughs> They're my burning! Eyes is burning! I can feel the it. goggles. They do nothing. <laughs> I can feel the dandruff being killed on my eyes." <laughs> Slime number three: cream of wheat, cold water, shampoo, green coloring, and liquid latex. Liquid latex. Don't put too much liquid latex in. What, somebody having a latex allergy? I think this oh, goes, maybe. the first one is like the latest recipe, <laughs> and then just <laughs> earlier, right? Yeah. You know, they, the, the prototypes. A little li- liquid latex in some kid, he turns out to have a latex allergy, puffs up like a puffer fish. <laughs> and then the, the uh, screams about his burning eyes. Yeah. Oh, baby shampoo. That's a better idea. <laughs> Sitting around the boardroom table going, let's dump green slime on children's heads. It's the kids' show created by people who hate kids. Those are usually the best ones. (laughs) Uh, We do have to talk about games. The green slime of Dungeons & Dragons? Yes. Oh, right, of course. green slime. Yeah. Uh One of the most annoying monsters. Well, and they have like all sorts of sort of slime-related creatures. Slimes and oozes. Yeah, Yeah. your gelatinous cubes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of that one. Gray ooze. Yeah. My favorite, the more recent varieties is the graveyard sludge Ooh, yeah graveyard sludge nice. but green slime was from like the very first edition yes of no slime. in that that first monster yeah. manual that it was not even monster manual just the rule book that green slime before there was a monster manual nice it doesn't move it just Spanning grows but it can drop on you so if, if you don't see it and it's right above you it'll drop on your head start dissolving your head away like acid yeah, it was always fun when your character just accidentally got all his stuff Melted. acidified. And the only way to get it off is burn it off. Simply because you didn't look up. You just had a you, you, and there was no spot checks in those you had, <laughs> in those rule systems. Rule. Did you say you were looking up at this very exact moment? No. Or take twenty five points of damage. Oh, you only had three. Oh, and all your stuff is wrecked. So yep. after they resurrect you, you have nothing. Well, that's the classic, right? <laughs> is that it, you know you have one campaign and your DM accidentally gave you some like super powerful sword. And you've been hacking and slashing your way through every adventure since. They're like, screw Hey, that this room's guy. made of green slime. Yeah, exactly. Didn't see that and, one coming. You know, melt your magic sword. Mm, done. Over. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> green slime. You just described what, is- what I dislike about Cthulhu roleplaying. <laughs> Boy, doesn't it suck when Except you just you don't start out with die. anything. So <laughs> there's no magic swords. Or they make you go crazy. That's exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's all that shit and no magic swords. That's realism. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, why I play role playing games. I, I for live. the realism. That's why I play taxes and going to work. The role playing game. Uh, shit! I rolled a one. My wife is leaving me. Uh oh! I gotta clean out the kitty litter box. Make a skill check. The moral of the story is: if you're out on the beach, and you should see a great big box and it's within your reach, don't ever stop and open it up. That's my advice to you. Cause you'll never get rid of them No matter what you do Oh, you'll never get rid of them No matter what you do 